everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Proud Boxer Podcast. Today, I have Scott Adams, the man himself, here with me. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. So you and I met uh, several years ago, at least five years ago, back when you were still at Riot Games, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, I think we met at an MRC, which we were just talking about the MRC as well. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of the organization that brought a lot of us together, and then you've been kind of doing other things since since the right game days and we'll get all into that so let's let's go all the way back let's tell people who you are where you came from how you got here just do your whole intro for them if you could please sure well like you said so i'm scott adams i've been doing you know fraud risk payments for over 20 years now um, i started as a merchant um actually was just telling somebody i my first business was like in fifth grade um always been an entrepreneur but you know after college i got into a little ebook company as it director and like a lot of us back then, there weren't anti-fraud companies. There weren't, there's no education. And we were doing great selling a lot of eBooks at the time. And then I actually got the idea to move it into subscriptions. And so we actually created a product, did really well. But then we had a lot of fraud. And we almost actually did lose a few merchant accounts at the time. Wow. Back then it wasn't a blacklist though. There were no match list, no TMF. Um, and yeah, so we just got another one. It wasn't a big deal until it was. Yeah. And just the money kept piling up that the banks were holding. And, you know, so finally I got lucky and I was working with a marketing company that I went to a conference and they heard somebody speak about fraud. And then I realized, hey, there's conferences. Wait a minute. Yeah. And so that's when I started going to things like MRC, Payments Ed, all the ones you guys have all been to. And, you know, so that got me into fraud. That's when I figured out this thing, I realized I had to learn fraud if I wanted to keep my business alive. That's, uh, that's, a, just... that's a good point. Like when, when finding out there's conferences, I remember when I, I kind of shared it on another episode, like my history and how I, how I wound up in fraud, but I was doing fraud already. Just kind of like you were, you know, like I was making rules. I was doing managing like negative and positive lists, doing the job. But then I actually had uh JP Morgan came in to do like a, a QBR for my business at the time. And I was doing the fraud piece with them and they're like, yeah, are you going to the merchant risk council conference? Like, I was like, what's that? And they're like, it's the fraud conference. I'm like, there's, there's a fraud conference. And then I got approval to go right away. It was, it was funny. Cause I was still a contractor at the time. So mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to have like a corporate card or anything. So they actually had to give me petty cash out of the drawer to go <laughs> and pay for everything. And then like bring back the receipts and account for everything. I just had like this big wad of cash that I had to use. It was yeah, that's, different, that's different actually time back then. <laughs> yeah well that's the other thing that happened to like i think the first event i went to was was payments ed back then called direct response forum and it was the same literally the same thing like we were with lytle and company at the time you know oh, which yeah. is now uh vantive e-commerce i guess well world pay it's uh what, yeah it's, uh, it's fis mutated a few times <laughs> but uh they you know tom lytle i'm sitting at the table with him he's going over stuff and, and he says hey have you ever been to this conference and I, again, I didn't know what conferences even were. And so he said, oh, you're coming. You're our guest. Let's go. And, you know, a month later, I'm at my first conference. A few months later, I'm at, uh, you know, MRC. And ever since, I've not missed many of these conferences. And they're just such a great information. And now being more experienced is I love to share that information. And, you know, yeah. that's, it's so important because there is not good education out there beyond maybe, you know, the conferences. But then yeah. it's, it's either one thing or another. It doesn't cover the whole spectrum. It's it's very cherry picked 
for the hot topics because you want to get people to your conference, which makes makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I actually have a yesterday I was I was uh, I had to go up to Napa for a, a quick couple of days my my best friend's father passed away and we were all very close to right. him and I was coming back last night and I was sitting in the Sacramento airport in the middle of California it just delayed because that's what happens when you fly southwest and uh I don't normally fly southwest but I had a ton of credit that I had to burn and it was what a, what a better time to do that when the last second flight but um the guy walked into the bar that I was sitting at because that's what I do and he had an ACFE bag on. And I was right. like, that's so strange because I've never seen one in the wild. And I ended up, I talked to him just briefly for a second. He was, uh, he's a, he helps with like government audits, um, watching yeah. for fraud and stuff like that. But uh, I just thought it was so weird and small world to see like a certification backpack of like one of our, one of like two certifications. I know MRC is getting ready to launch theirs. So we'll, we'll just throw them in already. But that's like kind of what it's been. That's been our training that like if you really wanted to have some sort of piece of paper that says what you did because there wasn't a college course for this i mean yeah. i think there is now if i'm, if I'm not mistaken, there's, there's one there's so far like, behind though yeah and it's like here we all are doing i remember when we went to like i went to the first mrc myself it was just, i think 2012s might have been earlier but um, it was when it was at the win and there wasn't very many of us and everybody knew everybody and i didn't know everybody yet at the time but now when you go like when I look at like the big room during like the opening keynote and stuff, and it's just thousands of people and it's like, wow, like everybody realized it. And I think it was the same thing like that. I always have, I see happen time and time again, which you probably see in, in your consulting side is like, just like you saw with the books, it's like you, you're doing these sales. And then all of a sudden you get, what, what's this charge back? Why, why, why are you holding my money? Why my money go away? And then yeah. you start looking at it and then you get frustrated. Then you call like your ISO and you start complaining about it. And then they tell you what's going on. And then you start to, then the first one comes in and you're like, shit, maybe this was just a fluke. And then all of a sudden you get like 10 because it's out there now that you're exposed and you can fraud your system over there. So it's just like snowballs from there. And then you start, everybody does the same thing. They start with the negative list, negative list, like the email, negative list, the credit card. And then it just gets more sophisticated. So, so go back. It, you're talking yeah. about one or two coming in, go back in a 15, 20 years on most of my first company. I was telling somebody else today. We literally would have, I don't know if you've ever seen these because mail isn't as big a deal now. Like, you know, the post office has these crates that are- Like the little like, plastic ones? Yeah, the yeah. big plastic ones. Yeah. You know, they're like bigger than a than a file. Yeah, you, you put everything, yeah, yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking about, yeah. So we used to get multiple of those a day full of paper chargebacks. The, the ones that you, know, that, you had to, that you had to attach a receipt and all that, staple it, and then you had to fax it in on the old fax machine. Yes. I, I didn't have we to do that when I worked retail. I didn't know I was so doing chargebacks at the time. <laughs> you know, and luckily now it's mostly digital, but but here's the interesting thing from just one of our clients is down in uh, Honduras and there's still paper. Yeah. There's still, everything takes months. They don't even have, and this is what I'm consulting with them about. They don't even have a way to do refunds. They thought they were doing them. But what I discovered is they're doing voids. Oh. Well, doing refunds. But but like the bank says I can't do it after a couple of days. And I um, interesting. So as soon no. so they're just trying to avoid a pending. And like as soon as it settles, their bank tells them they can't do a refund. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I mean, so so I called up wow. some friends from Mass Corona Visa and found out, well, technically, obviously, the regulations say otherwise. But it's like they kind of had a first rush down there. They got things set up and then they haven't been back. And so there's a lot of banks that there's the smaller local regional ones that very unsophisticated. 
Yeah. You know, so I'm actually trying to help the merchant help the bank figure out how to do this. And, you know, it's, it's a really interesting project. Um, plus I don't really speak Spanish. So uh -oh. I, I understand, <laughs> but you know, luckily my wife uh, is, is, who's part of the team. She's fluent. Um, but okay. even so, like, she's not business fluent. And so it's interesting trying to figure out words that yeah. even sitting with, you know, that one of the other guys that's helping us with it, he's uh, actually, you know, from a Latin American country and uh, Spanish speaker natively. And even he was having trouble coming up with what, what word do you use? Mm -hmm. He thought that he thought refund was avoid and or you know, vice versa. And so we finally came up with it. My wife realized, well, wait a minute, let's try the Portuguese word for refund. And it was the same word. Just interesting. Yeah. God, they're kind of what we were talking about. Brazil and Brazil and, and all that is and, and Honduras are a little far apart, aren't they? I'm not super brushed up on my oh, they are. Latin but and South but, American geography these days. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, Brazil and Honduras are far apart. But yeah. the she grew up on the the uh, border of Paraguay in Brazil. Okay. At least like her first like 12 years of living. And so she got fluent in Spanish. Um but you know her Brazil speaks Portuguese. Yes, they do. But, it, but it's Latin based, so there's a lot of overlap words. Yeah, I noticed that when, when, like, when I work with some of like I I use um, D local, and a lot of those folks down there are obviously in, in Brazil and stuff. So when I hear them speaking, some like I I know Spanish to not a, a level that I can converse in it, but I can understand yeah. it. So I yeah, hear occasional here. words. I'm like ah, refundo. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just kidding, everybody. I know that's not right. Yeah, you know. but, but yeah, you know, that's where those are the kind of interesting problems that come up. And, you know, and I first learned that, you know, going back to, to my background, you know, I kind of told you sort of how I got into fraud. But then I, as I left that company, the, you know, they started having trouble mostly because like I was running it, but I had two partners that owned the majority of vast majority of it. And you know, it was my first, I was really young, first job, first real official job in the world in this world of payments and things and uh so yeah i didn't believe in there when they wanted to do things that i considered shady and then did some consulting and then through that ended up actually at the mrc and somebody told me hey this this video game company um needs somebody and i wasn't gonna look for a job but i thought hey it could be a good consulting gig and so i submitted an application and like the same day the recruiter called me and had me fly out to la and that's kind of how I got into Riot Games. They they didn't really have the role that fit my experience. Yeah. But the guy said, "Well, let me let me let me fix that." And so the next day he calls me and he says, "Okay, so we got you. I got it opened up for a director role. You can you know run all of basically risk for the for the company." And uh, so I took it as a consulting thing, and then eventually took it as a job and was there for over five years, around right around five years. Uh, that was Riot Games, you know, maker of League yeah. of Legends. Now, I, was, I was just gonna say, like to the audience, like you might not know Riot as a company name, but uh, but they do League of Legends is like their big one, and that is just it's still everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and it really put esports on the map. You know, yeah, like, we were we actually when I was there, one of the things that that we did was we got the U.S. government to approve a visa for esports players. Really? Because of the, before that, they were to come in as tourists. Yeah, but it and didn't I, really I remember. Like StarCraft like would have like little competitions that was like over in like South Korea and stuff. But then I remember when League of Legends was really starting to blow up in like what's that like the early 2010s. That's mm -hmm. that's when uh, I mean even you guys at Riot had opened like I used to work at the building across from your newer campus in LA that you guys had built yeah. in like 2012, 13. Mm -hmm. Uh and then we had Chelsea Handler where she would film the Chelsea Lately TV show was like in our parking lot right next door to us. When she moved that and went over to the universal back lot. 
you guys at Riot actually bought that building. Um, Hulu was there too. Hulu had their headquarters yep. there too, and turned it into like this whole like that's where you guys do competitions and stuff in there and like broadcast. Mm-hmm. I remember one time we were up in the office, we we're doing late night, like getting ready to release a bunch of stuff on Fandango. And I look out my window. And you guys had like a whole like in like arena. It looked like WWE WrestleMania out there with lights going, just hundreds and hundreds of people. And then computers set up in the middle of the ring with just like mm-hmm. some some guys <laughs> gaming. And it had up on the screens. And I know those like League of Legends is like more like um, it's like matches where you, there's a, it's not very much. It's like 15 minutes or something, right? It's like not very much time. Uh, well, there's a, there is a game mode that's short, but yeah. most the average game is 45 minutes to an hour. Okay, it's been, then, I, what I I described as capture the flag. You know, for yeah, okay, people that, makes that aren't video gamers, because it's it's five players versus five players, and you've got a mat. You start on either side of the map, and then you're basically trying to destroy the other guy's base, which is opposite yours. But there's a jungle in between, and lanes, and you yeah. know, all sorts of different characters, champions. We called them. Um, and you fight it out, and you know, hopefully get to the other side, and and you know, destroy the base. I think, uh, uh especially with with like gaming like that, uh. A lot of people are like, well, what is what is fraud? You know, unless you don't, unless you know, like, what does fraud have to do with with gaming? And I think that especially when mobile apps came into to play, and that's where like this type of gaming really crossed over into our world because as we all see the news reports and things, there's 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 microtransactions that exist in games now. So if you want to like your character to look a little different, you could buy it for a dollar ninety nine, a new outfit, or you could pay an extra five bucks to get these golden coins that what building a house in your game that's going to take three days will now take 15 seconds and these microtransactions they add up to a lot of money to hundreds of millions of dollars a month to these companies and sometimes every once in a while those microtransactions are subject to two main things correct me if i'm wrong they are subject to buyer's remorse uh sometimes late night you get frustrated you bought too many or Maybe your son or grandson might have got a hold of your credit card and went a little crazy when you weren't looking overnight and spent ten thousand dollars in an hour. And those are the ones that where then our stuff comes into play. There's also, of course, a stolen credit card. That's always going to exist for people that want to do that. But people that really care about their game probably don't want to have their account locked and deleted as much. So I would say first party fraud in this, and you can I'd love to talk about it a little bit as we go into this gaming thing with you, because you've done a number of gaming companies, how much and how prevalent first party fraud is and what you actually do about that. Mm-hmm. That's what so yeah. yeah, well, so to just super fast, fast forward, the last corporate role I held, since we're talking about friendly fraud, was actually, uh, you know, on count had uh, absorbed my uh, Visa VMPI facilitator, and then I helped them build their their DCM product. And, you know, Brad, Brad was Christian and I came up with the title, I think still the only first and only uh, in the corporate world VP of friendly fraud. So right. definitely something that I've done a lot, of, a lot of, and but yeah. So go back to Riot and video games. So first, it's interesting. So you you say it really came in our world with with mobile, but I would say as well before that. So interesting. I think what you just described is you know League of Legends when they launched. One of the things that I loved about Riot, and I still love about Riot, is that it's generally it's all about the player, and you know that's something that it was one of the reasons they had so much trouble finding people for the fraud department. And before they found me, they had apparently had like a hundred interviews and, you know, they kept talking to those bankers and people like this, and it was all about the money, but riots, one of their core tenants is player first. And so 
one and one of the neat things that they had is that, and they still do, I think they kind of probably pioneered this was free to play. You know, you literally can play League of Legends and never spend a dime. Yeah. If you're content with playing the rotation of free characters, free champions, and so you know, you can't have a favorite that you only play that guy because he's not going to be free every every week. And they I haven't played in a little while, they might have changed some of this up, but but I'm sure they haven't changed the free to play aspect, which means literally you can never spend a dime of that game. And but like you described, you can buy things, but it's all cosmetic. Yeah, it doesn't so actually give games, you an edge, right? It's that's exactly. that's like the big thing. So a lot of games do try to do this, but then it starts crossing into, oh yeah, you can buy the sword, which is more powerful. And that we call that play pay to win. Yeah. And that's and so, unfair. Yeah. That's where yeah. Ubisoft was getting getting a little bit of crap for because people could do that and it could give you an edge. Exactly. Uh, and yeah. so, but flip side, if if you think about it, even with free to play, you know, like I said, with how Riot's free to play works is it rotates so many champions every week that you can play for free. Now you don't have any skins, you don't have any, you know, basically any kind of cosmetics. You just get the base champion. But again, there's no power advantage here. So if you're good at that champion, all, all good. No reason to, you don't buy anything, even if you're bad at it, because you can't buy power. I'm having um, um, flashbacks to my Mario Kart 64 days because <laughs> I, like they have all the characters that you could drive. I haven't played Mario Kart on the newer ones. I haven't, but the, uh, I always would pick Toad because he was light and fast. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I only would pick him. And it would have been so much more interesting at the time if that game would have forced me to use the other characters. So I would have had to get good, as they say yeah. in, in ga gaming words, get good. Uh, I would have had to get good at uh, mm -hmm. using different characters. So yeah. that's a good well, idea so, for rotating. Yeah, but and then so, you know, the thing is, though, is that like there's a, so if you're familiar with video games and stuff, there's a thing called Penny Arcade. It's a little, little um, uh, cartoons and things about video games and there was one back and it's framed in riot's headquarters about a guy saying hey you know isn't it cool that, that league of legends is free to play the guy said yeah i love it it's you know i don't have to spend anything then the guy says yeah but how much have you spent oh i've spent a thousand dollars oh yeah but i've spent 1200 you know it's yeah. like you because it's so much fun and you want the skins you want to show things to your friends and this is kind of where now i talk about fraud so everything you described, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of different types of fraud that happen, but it's literally all the same fraud that happens to, you know, to to your company, to any of our companies, happens there. But one, it's at massive scale because the game is the the number of players are massive, and two, and this is where it gets a little different. Sometimes money is not the goal. Okay, like you know, we've been in our our brains are trained as fraud people and payments people. It's all with money. But when you're talking about a video game, it's not. So, you know, one story from, from Riot was we were um, having, you know, they had a bunch of different fraud issues. And one of them that we were seeing, though, and it, this is a little less fraud, a little more maybe, um, you know, keeping the game fun. But it, but it turns into fraud is that people wanted, you know, one, to be a high level. So like, you had to get to like level 20 to play in what they called ranked which is where it was a more, little more competitive yeah. game. And two, we talked about skins. Well, there's something else that you, you could get that you couldn't buy. It was that whenever the game loads, it shows all the champions that are in the game and your summoner name, which you know, your in-game name on the screen. And that waits while the game's loading, getting you onto the right server, these kind of things. And there's a border around it, around your champion. 
And that border signifies what level you've gotten to is ranked. And this is, is supposed to be impossible to buy. And so two things would happen. One, people would get accounts, use bots to level it up to level 30. Then they would go into the game and they would either using a bot or at the time, more often a person would log in and play ranked and rank level up in ranked. And if you level up in ranked to a certain point, you got different levels. And those levels were signified by the border on your load screen. And so when you go, go into the game and play with your friends, they would see that border. And so, and Pete, that was very sought after. Interesting. And so some people would buy it and just, which caused all sorts of problems because half the time the accounts were loaded up with other things. And then it would be, they would use stolen credit cards to load them up. Yeah. Or now cross over to account takeover, or they would just watch, see who, hey, who's got that high level account. And then they would fish and hack and, you know, social engineer, mostly social engineer yeah. and get the account, take the account over. Or they would do different scams like, you know, hey, get free riot points. And then it would be sometimes it'd be just they would just load it with a stolen credit card. Other times they would get you to give them their account, your account information. They would log in. And, you know, these fraudsters are good business people. So they would log into your account. And, you know, the first thousand accounts they do this to, they log in, they maybe use a good credit card. But now the next 20,000 accounts, they use stolen credit cards and half of those they steal, change your password and they sell that account. Yeah. So um, I used to back in like 2007, eight, nine ish range, somewhere in there, I think it was mostly eight. Um, I would play World of Warcraft and mm -hmm. I would travel a lot and my with my girlfriend at the time. And so we were always just sitting in hotels, nothing to do. This was way before Netflix was running around. Uh, and so we would play World of Warcraft and there was those scams we're always around like here, I'll give you 5,000 gold, you know, if you, if you on eBay and all that and all the little underground websites. And then the same things was happening, which I think, and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we go into the, the, the account takeover side, but then getting accounts at the time with level 70 was as high as you could go. There'd be accounts that were 70 and then they'd sell the account for a bunch of money to somebody else, you know, so that person didn't have to do all the work. I mean, it took like 30 in-game days in order to get those yeah. accounts to 70. It took a long time. And then obviously, you know, it's going to have gold. It's going to have like all the the mounts and everything you need. And I, I, I got really like, I quit doing regular while I started blue in the arena. So it's just kind of what league of legends became, you know, like yeah. all the arena style, style stuff. But the, uh, yeah, so I definitely have seen that sort of thing happen. And I still see, I think the same thing happens like on a lot of these, like pay to pay to play, play to pay to win games. Like, um, What's not the it's Clash of Clans, um, yeah. you know, Fallout Shelter. Fallout Shelter was really easy. I beat that thing like just like hanging out on the couch in the evenings in like less than a month. Um, but yeah, yeah, I definitely identify with that. Yeah. That's the thing. So, you know, when I say like it's not always money, there would be one of the hardest problems to to tackle was that you know, these players would log in and play and they would level up these accounts. And those were generally really good players that would do that. And you know, so one so the one there's an issue with you know competitive integrity if you're a low level player and you get matched which was one of the great things about league at the time too is that it had a really good match queue so so you played with people your skill level yeah but if someone's logging into a stolen or botted account that's low level and they're logging in to level it up to sell it well that player is better than you and did, so it becomes a bloodbath and could, it's not could, fun yeah could you level down too like if your character went up to like whatever level, could it go back down? Yeah, it degrades over time. Yeah, because like, I mean, so I used to play Halo 2 way back in the day too. Jeez, I played more games than I realized. 
but mm. you could go like 50 was a level cap there but it would be like a moon i remember one time i got it all the way up to like i was getting the partial moons so i was like in the high 40s but if i was to sell my account or someone was to take it over and they really sucked i mean that thing would just like just nose dive so down if, i'm not 100 sure i don't remember but it does degrade but it takes took a long time yeah um, i think it's faster nowadays but that's the thing so you know so it was such a challenge to beat this because you know the, those guys say those are smurfs but then on the other side you had the players that you know they would get this account and they level get it leveled up and the reason for it wasn't about money it was to show off to the friends you know to mm -hmm. say hey i'm platinum you know and then it and we actually did some i'm not going to go into the details because i don't want to give away yeah, secrets here to the fraudsters that are listening to this but uh we did i did find a really good way with with a couple data science guys um to stop a lot of that for at least for a while but it was interesting and you know talking about brazil earlier we launched this this system and boom we killed a ton of smurfs and you know people that were that were better players logging into other accounts and it worked great for most of the world except brazil and uh, what we always found out, except Brazil. It's always except Brazil. <laughs> yeah. So I so I fly down to Brazil and talking to the team down there. And the first thing they say, well, why didn't you talk to us more about this? And I thought oh, it was just a global problem I was trying to solve. And they said, yeah, but you don't understand Brazil well enough. And I said, obviously, I, I admit that now. <laughs> um, and so we're talking about it. And they said, oh, yeah, here, watch this. Watch this YouTube video. And they're based there's They have a, this. They have this thing called the Platinum Heart. So in the States and in, in Western Europe and most of the world, people would, would buy, either buy a, a account that was leveled up or they would pay somebody to play in their account to level the account up. And then that would be in ranked. But then once they got to platinum or whatever they wanted to be, they would never play ranked again because you would still have the border. They'd be locked in. They'd be, so they'd be locked in with the- For the yeah. season. That's how it worked. It's, it's It only lasts the season. So okay. for the season, they're platinum. So I, if I did that, I would never log in to ranked again because I would lose it. <laughs> I am not platinum. <laughs> well, in Brazil, what the guys were telling me is that, oh no, that's not how we how we work. We feel like we are platinum. So, but there's a problem. You know, our internet's bad. Our ping's too low. And at the time, there wasn't a Brazil server. I think we were just launching it at the time. So they had to play in the states, which so their ping was like 200, and yeah. good ping was like 20. And that's where people get really pissed too on the other side of the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they would, so they would log back into rank as platinum and they'd get crushed. But my models didn't work based on that. And so, you know, it's like that kind of thing that really throws you for a loop whenever you're used to dealing with people that it's mostly all about money and, and fraud. Most of the time it is, but sometimes it's not. And I find that every video game company I've ever worked with, you know, as a, as a client, a consultant or worked for, it's the same thing. There, there's some element of this to it. And you have to remember that. If you don't, you're not going to yeah. you're, you're have problems. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's I mean, granted, I'm, I'm talking about this a whole lot too on my, on my podcast again and again, and again, and all my speeches, all the stuff like I just, I went up to uh, last, into last year, I went up to Seattle to do that thing with uh, Riskified, but policy abuses too, you know, it's not about monetary gain always. It's about there's there's an, uh, something else, another goal that they're trying to get could be monetary if it's like rewards and things like that. But it could be like a medallion status on like an airline or mm -hmm. some sort of like, Same idea. it's just it's just some sort of status 
that they're trying to get, you know, and it's not, and usually these aren't necessarily always criminals too. They're like regular people, just people that want to shortcut somewhere, you know? <laughs> and that's, I think that that, like, I, I just did a couple of different articles about the 2023 predictions. One of them with identique that came out last week. Um, and I think I'm going to do a couple more things that are come, upcoming, a couple of webinars and events, but the, the focus on policy abuse for 2023 for me is just as big, if not a little bit bigger than what my normal fraud prevention focus is, is roping in policy abuse because like there's so much money bleed coming out of the sides and policy abuse that we need to really start enforcing these concrete rules. Like there was such a focus all through the pandemic of getting like acquiring customers and keeping those customers and keeping them loyal that now, you know, now that we've done it now, like we want to keep them loyal, but we also want to shake off the ones that are costing us money because sometimes customers don't make you money. Sometimes they cost you money. So you need to really be aware of the lifetime value of your customers and, and what you're doing to, to acquire those customers. So just things to think about everybody as we go through this. Uh, okay, so you had mentioned other gaming companies. So Riot Games, I'm, I'm sure there's an infinite number of stories there, and they are juggernaut. They will be for a long time to come. Uh, but what other? You worked for a couple other gaming studios too, didn't you? Yeah, well, so it, you know, like I said, I was with Riot for about five years, and then I left Riot. And what I pretty much did in my whole career is, if I'm not working for a merchant, I'm consulting for merchants. And you know, so I say I never really lose yeah. that merchant hat. I can't not think like a merchant. Um, and so I did some consulting and really quickly, uh, within months of leaving Riot, I got a call from a, a former writer, as we called ourselves, that uh, was working at Epic. And, you know, Epic, if most people know Epic nowadays, but if not, you know, they're the yeah. makers of Fortnite. And yep. my friend had joined them from Riot and was helping with uh, with publishing. And he called me up and said, hey, same problems. We and we don't have Again, it was rapid growth and they didn't quite know what to expect on that. But yeah, and I mean, it was they, the same as as, they, as Riot, too. They would say, Oh, they're not going to shut us down. You know, we're too big. But you know, I've seen the brands and you know the lose merchant people lose merchant accounts that are making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. It doesn't matter how big you are. And so yeah, they had the same problems. And so I as a consultant, I I consulted for Epic for about two or three years. Oh um, wow. Same stuff, just you know. And, and, and a little more on the payment side, like I did a lot of the fraud and slowly optimized and got it down. So they were out, outside of the Visa MasterCard programs, um, but also helped a lot with payments and just optimizing that process because, you know, people don't realize Epic's not a new company. They've been around for a long time. Like, I don't remember the, when they started it, but, you know, 20 something years because um, they most, uh, mostly published and did games for like uh, the consoles. Yeah, they started you know, in ninety one. This, this cross this cross console thing, which is, was newer to the world, really, uh, with Fortnite, and so you know they had a lot of the same problems Riot had, and so I helped with that, and then I also helped them with um, some of the cross platform stuff and how that was a different challenge, right? How do you how do you stop fraud when you're not the one controlling the, the shots all the time? Right? If you have cross platform, you have money coming from different different sources. You have yeah players coming from different sources. You have different, you know, consoles have have a, a solid, reputable device ID, you know, internet, and it's across the internet, but that console is hard coded. So there's good things there, but it's also bad because you can't see everything that that the console companies have. You can't see yeah, all their data. They probably want all your data in your company. Yeah, and that that that's a very interesting. I never thought about that, like how how consoles could be a little 
quote safer for the most part but at the same time you don't get the level of data you get on like a pc and then pc gaming has gotten so big lately but I, i've been a real big fan of this cross-platform thing like i have i think it's great um, yeah i have i have both the consoles i don't do pc gaming but i was just saying the other like i had i i just got a ps5 finally thank you Eamon, uh for helping me obtain that the uh but I had a, a Xbox One X, so the one before the Series X. I had so many things, and I just have been playing uh, one of the Assassin's Creed games. So now, in my older days, I like single player open world, go at my own pace games. Mm-hmm. And I just got I want to move everything over to the PS5. But Ubisoft on that particular game, they started with the, the newer Assassin's Creed games on the older one, Origins. They don't have cross platform, so all my progress and everything is stuck forever on the mm-hmm. xbox and i don't get to move it over to the new ps5 uh that's kind of frustrating but i think the the cross game like especially with like the call of duties all these like regular games that a lot of people know and play for forever and ever and ever they've all moved to the cross-platform thing to get the money everywhere they can and i think like stories like epic games where they have like Fortnite, where you never know who's playing on what when they're in a match with you is, is, is super interesting but that does open up a lot of sources for problems as the revenue comes in from different angles as well yeah, really. Yeah, it's interesting because just you know all that, and like I said, then when you talk about you know more of the world we we tend to play with you know fraud and payments and stuff, it's like you know data is so such a big component of what we do, especially if we're doing any doing any good with it. Um, but if you don't have access to all of it, it's a problem. Yeah, that- like, like when Epic launched, I can't. I'm, I probably shouldn't even say which um, game. They launched a, a big game on the on the Epic Game Store, and you know that you, everyone knows they do free for a little while, um, and then it goes to paid when they bring some the new app. And I remember you know sitting in meetings telling the the console people, you have to we have to have a two way communication here on fraud. If if you get a chargeback or if I get a chargeback or I being Epic in this case, whoever gets the chargeback needs to tell everybody else, especially yeah. me because I'm the one in the middle. We're, co- we're the coordinator. And so, you know, if Epic gets a chargeback and, you know, the console company doesn't know, what's yeah. going to happen? The fraudsters so are going to figure this out. So how would that work? As, as I'm a little curious because I know for me, in my, in my closed ecosystem, in my own companies, and I've done marketplaces before, but the difference that I had where I was the marketplace in those instances was there was clients that were part of the marketplace, but I was still the merchant of record. And then mm-hmm. on the back end, we would do settlement files uh, to, to to move the money behind the scenes. But at the end of the day, all the, the sales came through me. Now, when I buy a game on PlayStation, I buy that from PlayStation. So then obviously you guys got to get your money on the back end, like probably just the same way invoices and all that. But if I charge back that game on the PlayStation, PlayStation gets the chargebacks. You don't. So you guys might not know something was charged back. So you would have to have that communication. But at mm-hmm. the same time, like what about charging back on a, on an xbox or on a pc uh, you're right like so how did can you talk about like how did did you solve for that like like what yeah what eventually like okay. i i advocated for it day one it did not get solved it didn't happen quickly um eventually it did happen though um yeah, for the most i would part, want I, if i had somebody on the, on a playstation charging back i would then want any other epic stuff that's on the pc to be to be messed with too now i'm a little interested like I, I had some problems. I had some like an old PayPal friend help me out. But uh, when Fallout seventy six was releasing um, years ago, and that was kind of a nightmare that would made the headlines there. Um, I'm well, a really big Fallout actually. fan. What? 
guy. I, I also, I also helped Bavesta. Oh, okay. So I'm a big Fallout fan. There's a little lunchbox up there that has my Fallout yep, stuff. So, uh, big, big Fallout fan. So I was all about 76 and, um, the problems that had happened with that led, led it to not getting my game on release day. And it wasn't going to come for several weeks because I ordered directly mm-hmm. from Bethesda, by the way. Um, and so I don't remember, something happened where I had called PlayStation. I'm like, hey, this is happening. Is I, I bought it again on PlayStation or something had happened. I don't remember anymore. But what happened is on the PlayStation to me side, something had happened. And I called them. I was like, hey, can we fix this? And they said, no. So I issued a chargeback specifically for that game to try and get their attention. <laughs> and I know Bernard's probably like wincing right now if he's listening to this, knowing that I did this. But good obviously, obviously, yeah, he's a good guy. Obviously, it locked my entire PlayStation account forever and ever and ever. And I thought like it, it was it was frustrating to me because I only had a problem with that one thing. And I buy a lot of PlayStation games. I buy, I'm like probably the perfect customer because I buy games and then I don't play them. I'm like, I'll play like an hour. And then like, I just don't have the time. I get this podcast. I have a regular day job. I have play guitar. I have a ton of things that I have to do with my normal life. So I don't get a whole lot of gaming time, but also at the same time, like I'll buy a game. It's not quite what I wanted or it's too, too difficult, like too over the top. Uh, I I can't like, like games that you have to like feed your player and stuff. I don't have time for that. Like I want to play, I want to shoot some arrows. I want to shoot gun. And then I want to move on with my life. But anyway, so I'm, I think we're at this weird spot in gaming specifically where if we have a grievance with an individual piece of a platform, it needs to be segmented out from the overall platform. So if I bought a hundred games, but this one just doesn't work and they refuse to, t- to help me out with that, like I have a right to try and, and get my money back. That's why it's, that's the original real reason that chargebacks existed. Like a company yeah. can't sell me a product that doesn't work and then say, go F yourself. Like that's why this remediation process was invented. Now it's being abused over the top. But at the same time, like I need to be able to have a way to stand up for myself on a very specific thing and know that my hundred games that I've purchased are still going to exist. So that's just the gaming industry that's listening. Please continue to work on that too. (laughs) Definitely. And that's something I'm, I'm working with a couple startup game companies right now. Um, And those are the kind of things like, you know, one thing I may be probably most, I'm probably best known on the consulting side, at least for getting companies out of the Visa MasterCard chargeback programs. Like I've saved numerous companies doing that. Um, and that one thing I'm trying to do a little bit more nowadays is help newer companies, ones that aren't in trouble yet. Cause it's like, this is so much easier to solve for if you solve for it in the beginning than solving for when you're you know in, a, in, in the ER. And so that's something I'm always talking about, you know, and, and I think what, for what you're saying, I, in my opinion, there's, it's kind of, it's, that's a really difficult thing to solve for, it, right? Because you have, you charged back, you know, you're talking about, you know, Bernard and Sony. So you charged back Sony. So Sony you didn't charge back me. that game. Yeah. Because there's no entity for that game that's Sony. And so in, in one case, I see definitely lock it because then you'll you'll be motivated so, to, uh, to fix yeah. it. But flip side, and this is something that I, I think it was always part of my way of thinking, but it was driven home to me at Riot was that you know think about player first what's the player experience and yeah. like because i remember when i got to riot the same epic as, as well if you did a chargeback they did not lock your account basically nothing happened there was no there was no punishment for that, so, that person in chargeback now i i convinced them to do things but yeah what, but the thing is it was actually a really hard sell and we eventually compromised and i think which was a good thing as you know you don't 
for one chargeback at a low amount, you know, I think where we ended up at Riot was not locking the account right away. But, you know, you basically guys, I remember you guys had asked for reimbursements on things, too, if I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah. And actually, that's I think where we landed, which I really liked in the end. I think they still do this is that, yeah, the account would get locked. And, and this isn't what you're talking about. This isn't cross platform and this isn't cross game. This is when I was there, there was no. Yeah, this is a singular, game. singular thing. So, yeah. yeah, now they got Valorant, which is huge, too. Yeah, but uh, so that's a little different. But yeah, we had it. So where you could actually pay back, um, you know, so, or if you could prove that it wasn't a that it was real fraud, somebody actually did hack your account. That's another story. And, and they, they now I, I just helped a friend of mine get his account back that was hacked. And they now have an automated system, which works most of the time. Not always. So, but, yeah. Let me tell you how I would solve it and how I have solved this particular situation at companies in the past. So, um, I was at a uh, gift card exchange company at one of my past for a year. Now, we as a company had obviously people would would charge back specific gift cards, not always claim fraud, but just you know thirteen point ones and those sorts of things. But our solution there was to suspend the account, take back the item, the single item. And not allow any future purchases. So if you had other items still stored on there, you could still use them. So if you had other gift cards that you had, had that I mean, there always risk a chance that those gift cards that could get charged back additionally, you know. But at the end of the day, the account was suspended and blocked from future purchases. And then you could still use what had you had purchased, but you couldn't make more, and you couldn't use the one that you had had disputed. So I think that that works would work well for games. Now, if you want to yeah. then unlock your account for future purchases, then you have the reimbursement thing, or you have to plead the case, you know, blah 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 blah. Now so um, here's where. That gets challenging, though, yeah. because, and this is where, again, I say, you know what I would love to do, you know, any companies out there that are earlier in this process, I love to help companies solve for this before they have the problem, because yeah. the problem you get into is that depending on the model, how it works, especially because of microtransactions, you know, if you buy some in-game or in whatever uh, points, you're buying the points, you're not buying the game. Yeah. And then to trace, okay, which chargeback it went to this this set of, of virtual currency, and then you bought these twelve things, but half of this yeah, one you take it all back wasn't like that one, and yeah. yeah, and so if it's designed well with this in mind, it's not that hard. If it's not, and it's yeah. not, I'm not saying that this is poor design. It's just if you weren't thinking about this problem, it's almost impossible. And and yeah. we did do that actually. We started to do that somewhat at Ryan. We and. Epic does that, or at least used to do that as well, um, where we would, you know, de-entitle um, things like that. But like I say, because of virtual currency, since you're not specifically buying that game, it gets difficult. Yeah, now, and I could see like, like PlayStation like or something when you're like buying that. a game, that makes more sense. And and I think you know, I'm not, I don't, uh, you know, I've never consulted for Sony, but uh, give me a call, Bernard. <laughs> no, <laughs> they, uh, I, I think what really with them. In that situation, I think that would be the ideal thing is to disentitle for that game. Um, but then again, too, maybe what if you bought more than one thing on your cart? There's all sorts of variables there. And if yeah. they're not set up that way, it'd be really difficult. And one of the things too, like on, on marketplaces, like like I think that would be like a Sony or or like a, a Microsoft, you know, where like I'm buying a game that then they have to then transfer money over to that publisher at the time, you know, at the on the back end, is yeah, you could you could dis. Would you? How do you say it? this? Uh, this entitle, yeah, this entitle access to that game, and then um, if the chargeback is lost, you know, so then the PlayStation would be out the money that I then cost them. 
um, do like you have to have this built in at the beginning. And and I've I've chased this down new contracts as they renew, but then to have a deduction from the future settlement based on that to reimburse Sony, make Sony whole because technically Sony shouldn't be out the money on something on, on this side. So it comes out now those like, depending on when you sign your agreements, like if you're a new company that has a marketplace, I definitely recommend that you put in some sort of, of legal language that allows you to deduct if there are, if there are customer facing issues from the, the future settlements of your, your clients, it's just makes it a smoother process overall. Now they're not going to like it, but that's you know you they need to have some risk too like there can't be all upside all the time for everybody that's using your your system as like a, a gateway to their to the world that's just my opinion so yeah no i agree i think there definitely needs to be better ways for that and, and again like i said with you know player first is think about the customer experience you know we do need to think about the fraudster experience but we but more importantly we got to think about the players and yeah. just you know and i like you know outside of video games just if you can't make and i've said that's a lot if you can't make a decision that's good for your customer, it's probably not the right decision. Mm, interesting. And the end, yeah. They are the people that were that you're trying to serve. And so, you know, the best, and that's something I love about Riot. And, you know, I assume they still do this is that if it was not good for the player, it generally didn't happen. And so we that's, tried very hard, like with the, you know, the repayment thing and to, to still fight fraud and beat the fraudsters, but also keep the, keep everything good for, uh, for the players too. So let's let's talk about what you're doing now to help other companies do that very thing. <laughs> sure. Um yeah, well you know a lot of it was what you just said, you know. So I just I started after uh after my account in Equifax days, you know, where like I built a BMPI facilitator and then you know account absorbed us and uh was there for about a year and a half and then left after that Equifax acquisition. Took about a year off. And then after that, um, about a year ago, really, I started a, a new company called CMP Mentors. And really the mission there is kind of what we started this conversation with is around education. And it's like, you know, we do, obviously we do consulting, um, but I really do want to educate people. We're trying to get more and more content out there um, around this industry, the things people don't know, or you don't know what you don't know. And so what, and what we just started this year or launching right now is the, an idea that there's so many companies that need help with this stuff. You know, if you don't know payments or fraud, or you've never dealt with, or even if you have, there's so much to keep track of. And so, you know, it's my belief, you know, a company needs to stick with their core competency. You know, if you're a video game, you don't need to be an expert on payments. You might eventually need people internally, you know, but we can help you set up the right way in the first place. Um, but what we're trying to do is along with having, you know, the more high end side of consulting where we get you out of the piece of massacre programs. Like I've literally, I don't think I've ever failed to getting a company out of one um, unless they won't listen. There's a, a few yeah. of those. If they don't listen, you can't help them. Yeah. yeah. But so what we're trying to do is along with having those kind of programs, we're also creating an online portal, which is going to have a lot of content around it, um, how to solve all these kind of problems. And almost like kind of online courses, but a little less formal. And then kind of the next step up, and I'm seeing the need for this a lot more in a lot of the companies I've consulted with recently, is more of a coaching program. You know, so if you're a company that needs help and you don't want someone to just come, you know, just parachute in and do it for you and leave, but instead you want to say train up your staff, maybe it's new staff members even. Yeah. Um, or if you're in the middle of a problem and you want to solve it, but you want help, you want to be coached through it. And then, you know, still, if you want us to jump in and do something, 
we will. But if not, at a much lower cost, we're doing more of a coaching program where we have weekly calls with you, um, talk about whatever you want, answer questions, um, and then also have access to us via email. And it's seeming like this is going to be a really good way to, to further educate people and, and the industry and you know all those merchants out there, but also still be able to help people that are in big trouble and keep providing that educational content. Yeah, excellent there. Um, what else are you guys doing? And then, yeah, so additionally, so like um, we talked a little bit earlier, so my my wife's part of the team now, you know, my partner in all this, and um, together we're going to be starting a, I wouldn't call it a podcast, more maybe more of a show oh. um, okay. on YouTube that is talk about these kind of things, but in a much more broader sense. And that like what yeah. I realized from some conversations I had recently is that, you know, it's, it's odd as it is for me to say, I've been doing this 20 something years. And so I literally was on the internet before it had much commerce. And I remember sitting in school, you know, in, in college in the computer lab, getting on to Yahoo. And, you know, there wasn't much you could buy. But the, my first company I worked for was, was doing e-commerce before the fraud vendors were out there and before any of these, any of us were there. Um, and so what we're going to try to do is kind of bridge the get bring in some history, bring in those of us who have done this a long time. So learn yeah. from our experiences and also what it was like before, but then also talk to the future, what's coming, talk to people newer in the space, what they're seeing, new products, whatever's going on, um, and just try to make it kind of fun and interesting. There'll definitely be some deep and tactical conversations, but also just more, you know, the history, because we need to learn from it. You know, th things go in cycles. And so I, th I think yeah. it'll be an interesting uh, and entertaining show that we're going to yeah. be doing that toward the end of this month. And it's going to be called uh, Ecom Evolving, um, just through a tiny little website up, ecomevolving.com. Um, and uh, yeah, so hopefully people tune in and check it out. Yeah. Um, we always need another podcast in this space, just saying. Can I give you like two little small pieces of podcast advice that I've learned um, by crash coursing myself in the podcast world? Um, first of all, if someone or a lot of people tell you that an episode is really useful and, and them and their companies get a lot of value out of it, don't go and delete the episode um, just because <laughs> you have a personal dispute with somebody. So don't do that uh, because you can't delete it from everywhere and people still find it, but uh, I'll just go and re-record it somewhere else. But also um, audio equipment, like don't like, don't skip out on audio equipment. I use the Shure SM7B. I did not start this podcast with a Shure SM7B uh, and I use the cloud lifter, which, which gives the super clear audio. I just, I can't, I can't recommend this, this particular mic with the cloud lifter. XLR mics are just the best. They, they sound so good on everything. So it's a little expensive. It's like 400 bucks for the mic. But uh, if you put it up even against like the MV7, like the Shure SM7B, we'll, we'll, we'll blow it out of the water every Check time. Check that out. Yeah, I've got a Elgato. I don't remember the model. Um, Cat. I don't remember which, which model it is, but uh, I think it sounds good. Yeah. I mean, right, your audio right now, using it right now? Yeah. Yeah, it, your audio sounds really good. Like the, the you just can't the, see it. But let's see. Oh, oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, I like that. It's yeah, the, the noise gate and everything sounds good. The audio is really clear on that. So yeah, I'm just saying awesome. like that's that's like the difference. Like I've I've been reading a lot of, of stuff about like comparing because I'm, I'm I'm building a road kit for this too. So like I can okay. take it. I can take it out there. I'm trying to decide if I want to like get a little bit of a cheaper mic. And the answer is no. <laughs> I'm gonna mm -hmm. go and get another one of these. Um, and and then take it on the road. I'm gonna do some stuff while I'm 
while I'm at some of the conferences, trying to get people on the side and see if we can bang out a couple episodes, you know, more in real time. Some of the people like that are like that, that live in like Australia and stuff. I have an episode coming out um, in a couple of days uh, with a fellow in New Zealand and, and that, that, that audio is fine on that one there. But like some of the folks, you know, if they're in more low bandwidth areas, the audio can can be a little challenging when we record these. So I'm going to grab those people while they're while they're in the States and see if we can just do some in-person stuff. So those are my two things. Great. Don't delete episodes that are useful and uh, and good audio quality. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully I'll not have trouble with either of those. But uh, yeah, that those are good. Thank you. So uh, as we as we begin to wrap up here, we got a couple of things like so you have this company that, that you that you're helping people out. So in your opinion, what are the, the biggest issues that merchants are facing right now that need to be solved? Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like I said, I've been doing this for over 20 years and it's really funny how they're all the same issues and some new ones, but it's, yeah. it's more like new twists on the same it's thing. Like, exactly. It's like a variation of the same thing that we see in people just trying to find out ways around other things, but it's always the same yeah. core issues, always. Yeah, like, you know, I'll, I'll throw out, right. So probably I think one of the top ones still and I don't see this changing is chargebacks. Um, yeah. But, you know, because if you think about it, like say new twist, we have so many new merchants because, because of COVID. And, that you know, all these people that thought they would never be online or didn't want to be online are now online. And so you've got all these new, you know, targets for the fraudsters. Um, you know, I think that's still a problem. And on top of that, the rules keep changing. And I'm always something I talk about yeah, a lot is reminding, um, you know, reminding people that so often, you know, we give new merchants, merchant accounts, and we don't tell them of the rules <laughs> that you don't, you can't have so many chargebacks. And it's not any different now than it was 20 years ago when I got my first merchant accounts. Nobody told me what a chargeback was. Nobody told me I had to stay under at the time 1%, which yeah. that's changed now. It's 0.9 or in some nine on visa. Yeah. One on, on the others for now. Yeah. It, in it, some ways it's 0.75. Cause that's where they that's where the, the risk. Yeah. The, the threshold, that's where you start getting nasty emails from your, your processor. But yeah. yeah. And oftentimes the processor doesn't explain, you know, I'm helping a friend, you know, not a client really, but a friend of mine, but when he got a charge back on a tour company, he runs and, you know, it's like $3,000. And he said, well, but she took the tour. How can she charge this back? I said, well, the code, the code says that she's claiming um, that it was fraud, that she didn't do it. Says, well, I have pictures and everything. And so, okay, well, that's yeah. part of what you submit. Um, but you have a signature. It was a tour, it was in person. No, you process that card not present and has no signature. You know, and so there's all the, again, if you knew the things going in, you could prevent them. Um, you know, I think a, a second thing that also has been around, but not, it's more newer, newer is, um, you know, and I've been talking about it for a long time too, is account security. But right now, it's, I think it seems to be even a really hot topic. Um, and what I've been saying, if you've watched any of my LinkedIn Live stuff lately, is uh, that we need to remember, we need to think back, like, you know, think about back whenever CVV came out and card code came out. No one wanted to do it. Everyone thought it would tank their conversion rates. Well, eventually, we were able, to, the world was able to educate. Once merchants started doing it and enforcing it, now it's everywhere. Nobody had a problem with it. Yeah, and I think it's same I think thing that's, with EMV. That's what needs to happen with account security. Yeah, like the the EMV. Remember the dip the chip at the cash registers? Like they were fighting that. Like it was just going to ruin everything. And it's it's all been fine. That's just what we're all used to now. You just have to force it, and then people get used to it. Like one of the like yeah. I the the episode that's going to come out directly before this one. Um, by the time this episode's out, everybody hopefully you've already listened to it. But we talk about 
the different types of 2FA uh, that that auth signal, the company auth signal is doing and how they're how they can help out with this part specifically based on the level of friction that a merchant might want to have. So that's what yeah. And so what, something that I, I preach, um, and I've been saying this for for years, but it's I think it's very very relevant now, is that you know you don't you know one like email verification. Everyone expects that now. That's not a big deal. So just do it. Stop worrying about your conversion rate around that. Um, but then you know then you step it up, and as you step up to different levels of authentication, it doesn't have to be when they create their account. It can be I like to call it gating. It can be at different gates. So it could be, you know, like if you're a video game company, obviously you want people to play your game. So if you're free to play, they don't need to enter a credit card when they start most likely. So don't ask for the higher level authentication. But once they get to say a certain level, once they once they make a purchase, once they make a purchase of a certain amount, just think about it in terms of psychology. You know, when is the consumer or the player willing to do something for you? Well, it's whenever you've given them a bunch of things. So let them love your game, let them love your product, and then start to pick the account. Or like, you know, but flip side, if you're a bank, and this is, annoys me to no end, I'm not gonna name and shame here, but like my bank, they have the most secure you can get is SMS um, two-factor off, yeah. and it's not required. And they solve security questions, you know? And yeah. so it's like, guys, come on, there's, this is, all my money is here. Yeah. I don't want, I, I will do things for you. I will do Google Authenticator or something more advanced. Uh, you know, so we need, I think as 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 people in the space, as experts, and also as, you know, if you're a, a merchant, we're all part of this ecosystem. We need to protect it. And so it's my feeling that if we, maybe we start slow, maybe we mostly do it via gating, but we need to do it. We need to offer two-factor auth that's strong. I think Not Apple's... Apple's doing a really good job of forcing the, the, these new types of what, what people don't even really realize is 2FA, like with the touch IDs and the, and the face IDs and the biometrics. That, That's like, a captive the, audience. Yeah, but like at the same harder. time, like yeah. like having banks uh, and things add that in as an, as an authentication to log in is like kind of adding an enhanced layer of security that most people don't realize they're even doing. And that's that's pretty cool. But it's again, it's one of those things like if you just make people do it, they do it like they adopt it. Like we don't have to pretend that a 5% drop off is, is as huge as, as it, it might actually be because people probably are going to abandon card anyway when they see the price. So just like, yeah. And what worry I, about something, it. something I've been talking about a lot lately too, and I'm going to do this more and more is just around the idea that, you know, really, when you think about it, you know, what, what we do, especially like what my company does is we improve lifetime value, right? So it's not just around fraud and really, if you're doing the fraud job and payments job, in my opinion, the right way, you're trying to enhance your company, improve your company. So you're improving the player experience. You're improving the customer experience. You're enhancing the LTV. And uh, oddly, most people don't even track LTV. But, you know, the yeah. more we do that, the better. And, it, and you can optimize. You know, people don't generally use that word in this industry, but you can optimize fraud. Yeah, yeah. And that's so yeah. funny because I've the, like two companies that I've worked at, only two have we ever like had a running LTV of the customer. And like you can set like gates for your whales, you know, the people that have been there a long time. Like if someone has spent a million dollars with me in the last six months and they charge back $39.99, we're not going to have as much of a problem that someone spent $39.99 and charge back $39.99 with me. You know, yeah. like, and like, you know, I, I just saw, I, uh, I just did a, actually, a LinkedIn Live yesterday I did was around this and that. You know, somebody I just saw 
one of our other friends in the space had posted something around a guy, his kid got a hold of his his phone, or actually he gave him his phone to play a game. And across the next hour, the kid racks up a, c- a couple thousand dollars of food bills or, you know, food purchase. Oh, this is the one I saw this. Uh, did I see this one, your post on LinkedIn or was um, it? My, I did it a post around a couple times. Another guy, uh, hmm. another guy posted it too. Yeah. Um, but okay. like, I did a video around it and a big post around it because this goes right to what we're talking about. Why did you let this guy order 50 pizzas? Yeah. It's like, like you know, I get it. You want that big order. But as I preach to people all the time, if you don't know where that sale came from, if you don't know why you have this big sales boost, oh, there's a reason. <laughs> and it's probably fraud. And so why wouldn't you have something there? You know, biometric behavior about metrics would have solved that problem also. But even keep it simple, just a, a simple rule. If it's more than three pizzas or five, what, look at your data. If it's more than the vast average, you know, the high average is, or maybe the highest you've ever had that was legitimate, you know, put a, put a gate there, make them authenticate better, make yeah, them call you. This is, if you want even, 50 pizzas, let them order it. Yeah, but make step sure up into 3D secure. So like you get the liability shift on that one, you know, like I know like, oh, I would go got further. three cents on that. I would call them. If it's literally, yeah. if it's 50, you know, that's, 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 what, it comes back to like the balancing too, of like balancing human interaction versus how much can we automate all of this? You know, like, I think that mm-hmm. in the modern era with with speed, we're all trying so hard for automation, but there are always going to be exceptions to the rule. Like, like, I think even like selling like movie tickets or, 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 or big tickets, like, like the Super Bowl, you know, if someone's going to buy a hundred thousand dollar ticket and you've never seen it before, it might be worth a quick phone call just to be like, Hey, are you really him? Are you really her? Like, I would, sorry, I'm using pronouns, but like, are you really them? <laughs> like, we yeah. really, we really should know, you know, and it takes only a couple of seconds to validate some information and then move on with our lives, you know? But at the same time, like, I think that using these multi-layered approaches with step up, up authentication on a case-by-case basis is yep. really where people really need to go. You don't have to call it email authentication every time. You don't have to call biometrics every time, but you, you, you get that whole cascading effect of when you do, and that's how you really get into having low friction environments for mm-hmm. almost all of your customers with a high conversion rate and a low chargeback rate. But you have to spend the time and you have to do it and map it out and you have to, you know, it has to keep evolving because your customers yeah, evolve. Absolutely. So your process and your strategy has to evolve too. So, yeah. Definitely. It's always got to be changing because that's what, you know, somebody on uh, asked me a question yesterday. They were saying, well, you know, with, with things like, you know, the all the AI tools coming out lately, um, you know, is that going to mean that we don't have promo codes anymore because it's just too easy to fake and stuff? And I said, no, it's not going to change it. It's going to change the world in some ways, sure. But there's always going to be fraud. You know, fraud's always been an arms race, right? And you don't like, you know, the old joke and, you know, the stupid joke in our space is, right, if you don't want any fraud, don't take don't take payments, <laughs> you know? And that works, <laughs> you don't make no money. So it's the same thing. You've got to continue to evolve. You have, it's an arms race. You can, you stop one problem, it evolves. Just like our products evolve, just our, our services evolve. So we have to evolve as people and as professionals and our businesses have to keep evolving. If they don't, they're going to die. Yep. Um, okay, we got one more thing because this is technically we're combining this everybody with the uh the, the what, what his company is solving for also addressing the the three the three top trends that I ask everybody. So this is kind of a combined everybody. So we got one more on your list, and I think it's a good one. Back to friendly fraud. I think I've, we've been talking about that half the show really. Um, you know, and the name keeps changing on what this is, but 
I think, you know, I, and people ask a lot, they say, well, what percentage is friendly fraud versus criminal fraud? So, well, where are you in your journey with fraud? Yeah. You, know, if you have no protection, which surprisingly more and more merchants I run into don't have much. Then it's a, a lot. Then say, let's call it half as friendly fraud. Half is, yeah. is criminal. But it overlaps too. You know, what isn't, what's criminal versus not. But so what I like to call the definition kind of a friendly fraud being that it's somebody, you know, you know, as a, as a, as a merchant. So they bought something from you. They've had an account for a long time or kind of in quotes, it looks like that person. So this is where like it, it, account takeover jumps in. So it could be criminal fraud that looks like friendly fraud, or let's just combine the two in that case. Um, you know, so I think that's, but that, especially what I just said about AI is going to get more and more prevalent. It's going to be harder and harder to tell the difference between a criminal fraudster and an average person. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. And so, yeah, that's not going away. That's just going to get worse and worse. And so it, just the same statement, we have to keep evolving. Yes, we do every day, all the time. And I think that, you know, the chat GPT is like, just literally everywhere right now on everything. And and it's frightening. I think it's frightening yeah. for a lot of people what it what it's able to do. And of course it's AI, so it's learning even more. Um, but at the same time, like we can't just throw our hands up and say it's all over now, you know? Like these yeah. things are gonna keep coming and we're gonna keep finding ways to to solve for what we need to do. I think there's some some really interesting tech that's coming out in the marketplace too that's gonna gonna be interesting for us to use that leverages AI in a more sophisticated way than than historically we've been using just training models again and again and again. So I think that um over the next I couple think of years AI has the ability, I think, kind of like a, you know, in a way a more it's a much more advanced, you know, unsupervised machine learning kind of. You know, yeah. the problem That's with exactly machine learning most of the time is that it has to be, you've got to implement that model. It may be yeah. learning the whole time, but it's not active the newest stuff isn't active the whole time. Whereas AI has the, a better ability to do that. Um, and I don't think there's not much out there that really does that. There's, right now. there's one company that I won't name yet that is doing it right now. And I'm going to have them on as a guest shortly um, in the next couple of months, but they are using ML to train their own ML against itself. Hmm. And I think that that is a super interesting approach. So they're pretending they're using AI to pretend it's itself a bad guy while attacking its own ML to learn um, and they're learning from each oh. other. And it's, it's a super interesting thing. And I'm going to have them talk about it on the That's podcast cool. because I think it might be a larger, cause it's not just going to sell for fraud. They're looking at like bot mitigation and account authentication as well. So I think that there's going to be, awesome. and they also have um, some deep fake stuff that they're working on too. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, one thing I, I also, I see that, you know, along with friendly fraud is that just, you know, I think more and more, you know, behavioral biometrics, those kind of things, I think are super useful and they're evolving and changing fast. Um, you know, I've, I've got, I'm talking to one company I shouldn't name right now, but is, is doing that where it's pretty much exactly what, uh, you know, I think needs to be done is that, you know, more things need to be to say biometric first, behavioral first, you know, take, cause really, yeah, we only have so much data. If you just look at transaction data, it's all the same stuff. And it's generally the same things. And, and those are much easier to fake. Whereas, you know, when you, if you start further up the funnel, if you think, you know, broaden our, our scope here a little bit, look at the sales page, the order page, how did they get? The That's so funny. There? And I've then all saying, the behavioral biometrics yeah. variables in that process. I've been saying for years that we need to get our authentication up closer to the login or even the touch point of the website. So by the time the people wind up at checkout, they 
they're authenticated and they didn't realize that they were authenticated. So however they're interacting with the site, like it goes beyond just like time on page that, that the simple static rules that we've already been using, but like all of the things, like how, how the accelerometer data is being held. I know like companies like new data have been trying to do this and get a real clear snapshot of like a person's, how they walk, how they talk, you know, how they sound, however, all the, the data points that we can get. But I think really at the end of the day, if we can find a way to get real true biometric authentication and liability shifts in some of mm -hmm. these things, like if we, if, if there's a way that we could get a liability shift from us to more of an issuer side or have the ability, like it's completely removed, like you can't dispute a transaction completely um, because they know it was you, even the bank knows it was you. So they're like, uh, -uh no liability here. That's where like we'll, we'll finally hit our, our stride, you know, but that's going to take lobbying to the government, you know, and to create yeah, that's, rules. That's a long way off. That. But, yeah. but I do think, you know, they're, I'm, I'm working with a company right now to do kind of what I just described, where, you know, you want to get getting behavioral and other variables from the whole customer journey instead of just the login or just the, the order page um, and just transaction data. And so it's like, you know, those, these are the kind of things that, you know, it, the more we do that, the better, I think, if we look at the big picture instead of just a little microcosm that we tend to look at, um, I think we can get much further in what we're doing. And especially, like I said, with all the evolving, um, everybody evolving, the fraud world evolving. Yeah. And, you know, friendly fraud is just going to get better and better. So, or yeah. you know, harder and harder to stop. And, and so consumers are harder and harder to please. <laughs> yeah, true. You know, but yeah. also, the, you know, but now go back to the side, like I say, enhancing lifetime value. And that, you know, I think we fail to talk about that uh, way too much when we talk about fraud and payments. You know, if you take this further up the funnel, then you're gathering more and more data you could be using also on the marketing side too. And, you know, and this doesn't mean invading your privacy. This can all be, you know, metadata that gets stored. And so, you know, I don't want to want it to sound like I'm saying that we need to, you know, have a whole lot more personal data stored. Because no, actually, I would say less. We just, because we take this stuff, we distill it down. Um, so it's not at all personal, but yet it gives us insights so we can stop fraud and per better provide what the consumers do want. That's a good point. All right. Well, I think we are going to wrap this one up. This was a really good and really fun conversation. Uh, learned a lot about gaming. Uh, it, it, just, it validates all the stuff that I had seen um, that I wasn't alone when I was seeing it, when I was playing these games, when I was the end user on that. Um, and, I, and I think that we have a pretty good idea looking forward into the future, what we both want from our industry um, and what we're the goal that we're working towards. So I really like to hear that too. Um, I do like, I, I want to make sure that everybody goes in and checks out your your podcast uh, when you get it going. So um, I'll post about it. Just just let me know when when you launch that and I'll post about it on the uh, the good old LinkedIn. Uh, try and put some eyes over there. But for everybody else, I'm going to put all the links to Scott in, in the description, obviously, for, for his company. So if you guys have any needs or any coaching needs uh, for him, like feel free to reach out, ping him. He'll get you all set up on that. Um, however they do the agreements, however you guys can do the agreements. But I think that that'll be super interesting if you, if you have needs. I think it's cool to do a, a, a thing like that in coaching where it's not necessarily like full-blown consulting, consulting, but more helping people uh, along in their journey. So that's a really cool idea. And I'm happy that you're doing that. Um, and thank you again for being a guest on here. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so one, one other thing too, just thinking about it. So something else we're doing a lot yeah. too is trying about every week to do a live Q&A where... Technically, I'll, te I'll teach something if people don't ask enough questions, but I've been doing them for about a month now. And most of the time, half, at least half of the, of the hour is full of people asking me questions and I'm answering questions. 
Um, that's excellent. That's fun. that's good that people are involved because it's hard to get like on webinars and things like that. It's usually when they say like, anybody have any questions? It's fairly silent. It's going to be like onesie twosies. Like one person will ask like three questions. But uh, it's really, if you get an interactive audience like that, like that's where people really start to learn because it, it prompts people's minds to come up with questions too. Like, oh yeah, I was thinking about something similar to that. Uh, so when you get that, that's that's good. So everybody make sure you also go uh, connect with and follow follow Scott on, on LinkedIn too so you can get access to those those wonderful live Q and A's. I see him going live all the time, sitting on the same backdrop. I know nobody will be able to see this because we don't put the video out, but I see you sitting yep. there <laughs> all the time. All right. Well, uh, thank you again for being a guest. Like I said, all your information will, will be on, on the description below. So everybody uh, click, click away. And again, thank you, man. Have a good day. Thank you.